Amen. Thank you, brother, so much. I'm so thankful that we uh, still serve a God who raises up the broken and brings them to life. What an amazing truth that is. Thank you so much for sharing that with us tonight. And I also want to thank all of you for uh, uh, being with us tonight in our Wednesday night Bible study. If there has ever been a time that we need the truth of God's precious, powerful Word, it's right now. The psalmist said uh, that the Word of God is a lamp unto his feet, and it's a light unto his path. And if there's ever been a time when we need God's light in a dark world, it's right now tonight. So I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to be a part of what God is doing here at Mount Zion and, and just getting in his truth uh, for our Bible study on Wednesday evenings. Tonight we are going to be back in Romans chapter number 6 and I believe with everything in me God has something for you if you're ready to receive it. So I'm hoping and praying that all of us have come into this study with open hearts and open minds ready to receive what the Lord has for us. And so um, if you haven't been praying for these services, I ask you to begin now praying that God would have His way and will and speak to us clearly exactly what uh, we need to see. This evening we find ourselves in Romans chapter number 6 and Lord willing in just a moment we're going to be looking at verses 15 through verse number 23. Now before we do that what I want to do is just review just a moment what we've been over so far. I think uh, before we can ever really get a hold of the truth here in Romans 6 15 through 23 we've got to get a firm foundation of what we've already looked at. Um, that, that way maybe we can all get on the same page and receive uh, what the truth is speaking to us tonight in these uh, verses 15 through verse number 23. So uh, let's talk just a little bit about what Paul has done since the beginning of Romans. Um, Paul began by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When he started the book of Romans, he started off systematically preaching and teaching to us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He began in Romans chapter number 1 sharing with us the need, all of our need for salvation. He starts off in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 and he talks about the pagan nations and he says that the pagan nations that are separated from God just need Jesus. And if we look back in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 and we see the evidence that he gives, we can certainly see um, that pagan nations need Jesus. It's almost like the Apostle Paul in these first three chapters of the book of Romans is a prosecuting attorney and he's bringing the evidence against mankind without Christ and he's showing us the evidence in our lives of how much we need salvation. And, and he starts in, in, in that first chapter talking to the pagans, but that's not the only group he speaks to. Then he starts in Romans chapter number 2 talking to the Jewish people themselves. This is the religious crowd. This is the pious crowd. This is the crowd who had the law and had the prophets. You know what he says to them? He says to them the same thing that he says to the pagan. He says, you need Jesus. The religious need Jesus. The pagan need Jesus. All of us just need Jesus. We all need salvation. And he's making that abundantly clear through Romans chapter number 3. Uh, and he really ends that portion of his message in verses 9 and verse number 10. I'm going to flip back and read for you Romans chapter 3, verse number 9 and verse number 10. Listen to what it says. It says that he has proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. I love that. He says no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, 
whether you're a pagan or you're very religious, whether you're a Jew or you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, whoever you are, wherever you're at, uh, we all are under, under sin and become guilty before God who is holy. Then he says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody that uh, meets God's righteous standard. Not one of us, no matter where we've came from, no matter uh, who we are. And so he brings us to the point in Romans chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 where we see our guilt before God who is holy. We see our need for salvation. Now I'm so thankful that God uh, through the apostle Paul don't only give us the problem but then he gives us the answer. I love that. He gives us the answer in that he begins in Romans chapter 3, about the middle of the chapter there, he starts telling us how we're made right. Amen? He tells us how we're wrong. He tells us how we're guilty before God who is holy and how we all need salvation. And then he begins telling us how salvation is obtained, how we can truly be saved, how we can truly be born again. In Romans chapter 3, uh, and, and he begins talking to us about the principle of justification. And, and then in Romans chapter number 4, he gives us a person who has been justified. And that person is none other than Father Abraham, the father of the faith. And he uses Abraham as an illustration and an example of what it means to be justified by faith. And then in Romans chapter 5, he talks to those who have been justified. And he says, you know what? There's a lot of blessings that come your way because of justification that comes by faith in, in the Lord Jesus. And so if Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5 speak of justification, we found out last week Romans chapter 6 speaks of sanctification. Sanctification of the believer. What it means to be dead to the old man and that we've been raised up to walk in the newness of life. That we are no longer who we once were, but now by God's grace, we've been born again into God's family. And listen, been made new in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing that truly is. Now tonight, what I want to do before we get back to Romans chapter number 6, I want to review and talk just a moment about those three things we mentioned. Salvation justification and sanctification. Let me tell you why I think that's important. I think a lot of times in the church we speak what I like to call Christianese. Um, we, we say things like salvation, justification, sanctification, and those outside the church, those who've not been in Sunday school class, have no idea what we're talking about. But let me tell you what else I found out. Not only do people outside the church not know what these terms mean, a lot of people inside the church don't know what these terms mean, what these doctrinal truths of our Christian faith are all about. And I'm going to be honest with you tonight. Tonight I'm preaching the message. Tonight God has allowed me to stand before you with an open Bible and give you his truth. But if I'm honest, I don't fully understand all of these things. I may be preaching the message, but I haven't arrived yet. I'm still growing in my faith. I still need direction from God's word as to what all of these things really mean to me and for me. So I think it would do us all a whole lot of good if we spent just a moment defining these terms that Paul has spent about five chapters, almost six chapters now, uh, telling us about. So what does it mean when we say salvation? What are we talking about when, when we're talking about biblical salvation? What is that? Now, I'm amazed that some of the ideas that people have inside 
and outside of the church as to what salvation really is. It amazes me. I want you to know when I'm talking about biblical salvation, I'm not talking about God saving you from falling in a well backwards or a car wreck or some kind of bad time that happened in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. There is no doubt that God is certainly able to save you and sometimes does save you from these physical circumstances that we all find ourselves in. But when I'm talking about biblical salvation, I'm not talking about something God does physically in us. I'm talking about a supernatural work that God the Holy Spirit does spiritually in the life of those who believe. Biblical salvation, listen, is about God the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin. Biblical salvation is about us realizing our sinfulness before God who is holy. Biblical salvation is about trusting by faith in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We realize He paid our sin debt at the cross and we realize that if we trust in Him, the Bible says our sins can be forgiven. And that sin that separates us from God who is holy can be taken away and we can be reconciled to God. That's biblical salvation. It's a supernatural work in and on a man, woman, boy, or girl that trusts in Jesus as their Savior. That's biblical salvation. Let me see if I can define it for you in a nutshell. It's the free gift given by grace to all who place their faith in the finished work of Jesus. You said, Rosal, um, where'd you get that at? Well, let me give you some scripture. Ephesians chapter number two. Let me share with you what it means. I love God's word. God's word is our standard. God's word is truth that changes our lives. God's word is truth that we should build our lives upon. Ephesians 2 and verse number 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. See, I want you to understand tonight, salvation that we all need is a gift that God gives by his grace, which we receive through faith in Jesus according to Ephesians 2 and 8. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Verse 9 even goes a step further. It says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. I cannot boast in my own righteousness, the good things I have done, because the good things I've done is not enough. I cannot boast in what I have done. I can't boast in what I hadn't done. Listen, the truth is, all of us who are saved are saved by grace through faith. It's the free gift given by grace to all who place their faith in the finished work of Jesus. That's salvation. Now, what is justification? What does it mean to be justified? Paul spent, like we had just talked about, three chapters describing justification. And I'm going to do my best as to put this in a nutshell. We'll move on. But he says, the act whereby God considers the believer righteous based upon the finished work of Jesus. How many of you know, listen to me now, 
Justification comes because of salvation. It's the act of God considering us righteous. Listen, it's not a process. It's not something we work to achieve. Listen, it's something that God does supernaturally at the moment of conversion, the moment we believe, the moment we place our faith in Jesus and salvation is made real to us. The Bible says then God considers us righteous. Not because of who we are and what we've done, but he considers us righteous based upon the finished work of Jesus. It's an act that happens in a moment when we choose to place our faith in Jesus. This is justification. You say, brother, where do you get that? Well, the Bible says it plainly in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified, made right, considered righteous when we choose to place our faith in Jesus as Savior. I've heard it said, and you have too, that on the cross, Jesus took our sin. And at the moment we trust in him, he gives us his righteousness. It's imputed righteousness unto the believer. We are justified by faith in Jesus. Salvation, justification. What about sanctification? What does it mean that we are, excuse me, sanctified? Sanctification, different from justification, is a process. Let me define it for you. It's the process by which the believer is cleaned up and set apart from the world so that we might be used of the Lord. See, God didn't save you um, just to leave you sitting. God saved you so that you might serve. God saved you so that you might be what he's called you to be, so that you might by his power be a light for him in this world, so that you might worship him with your lips, yes, but so that you might also worship him with your life day by day. That is only possible when we are sanctified. Now, sanctification is a process that begins at conversion at the moment you are saved. See, we need to think of sanctification in, in two ways. First of all, you need to understand the believer is first and foremost positionally sanctified. Now, what do I mean by this? We talked about it just a little bit last week when we began Romans chapter 6 and those first 13 verses there. We said that um, we are positionally sanctified in Jesus at the moment of conversion. And what I mean by that, the moment you trust in Christ, you go from being outside of Jesus to what the Bible calls being in Jesus or in Christ. Let me give you just a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 is one of my favorite. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ as opposed to being out of Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So once you've placed your faith in Jesus, you go from being outside of Jesus in trespass and sins to being in Jesus because your sin has been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 goes a step further as to what it means to be in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3 says it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The Bible says the believer has been blessed with all spiritual blessings because we are in 
Jesus. At the moment we are saved, at the moment we place our trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we go from being outside of Jesus to being in Jesus. We are, our position changed. We are positionally sanctified at salvation. Now let me say something to you. This is what you got to get. God loves you just like you are, no matter where you are. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. And I'm so thankful for that. But now listen to me. God loves you too much to leave you like he found you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what kind of sin has a stranglehold on your life, at the moment you are converted, at the moment you are born again into God's family and you are positionally sanctified, at that moment, God the Holy Spirit begins a process of changing you to become like Jesus. There's an old song we used to sing in Sunday school. and I love it. It's called, He's Still Working on Me. Man, it's got some good theology in it. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, but he's still working on me. There's another verse of that song that says, don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. Hey, God's still working on me as a believer daily so that I might become more and more and more like Jesus. We are positionally sanctified at the moment of salvation. We go from being outside of Christ to being in Christ, but we are practically sanctified day by day. We start taking God's Word, applying it to our lives, and as we make application of God's truth to ourselves. The power of the Word of God coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit changes us to be what Jesus has saved us to be. He begins talking about sanctification in Romans chapter 6. I believe that's what he's describing when he's saying we are dead to the old man and we've been raised up to walk in the newness of life. Again, God loves you right where he found you, but he loves you too much to leave you where he found you. He begins the process of sanctifying you, cleaning you up, setting you apart so that you might be used for the glory of God. Salvation, justification, sanctification, all of these that Paul describes in these first six chapters, man, are amazing doctrinal truths, foundational truths of the Christian faith. Now in Romans chapter 6, Verses 14 through verse number 23, he begins telling us, if we have been saved, if we have been justified, if we have been sanctified, then we must yield our members as instruments of righteousness. Let's just start with verse number 13. I know we looked at that last week, but we'll start there and read through verse number 23. I'm going to pray for you. I got three quick points that I'm done. Look what it says. Romans chapter number 6, verse number 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. I love this. He says, yield unto the Lord as a believer, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now watch. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? 
He says, God forbid. Again, he gives the strongest rebuke he can give in the Greek language. He says, God forbid that we should sin just because we're not under the law. Just because we've been saved by grace. Like I said last week, when we choose to do that, we become a disgrace to grace. Verse 16, know you not that to whom you yield your members, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were, now notice that's in the past tense. He's talking to the believer and he says, you were in the old life because of the old man, you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What doctrine? That doctrine of salvation which was delivered unto you, this gospel message. He says, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. See, as a believer, you need to know where you were and where you are. We were in sin, servants to sin, but now because of faith in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We are instruments of righteousness to be used of God. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Then he says, verse number 20, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things? Whereof ye are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, you become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Then one of the verses that we all know and love, and rightly so. Watch what Paul says here. For the wages of sin is death. But, and I'm so thankful for the rest of this verse, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us. Lord, I'm so thankful for the truth of your word tonight. God, I'm asking you that you would, again, Lord, just be with me in this presentation as you've been with me in my preparation. Show us, as those who have been saved, those who have been justified, those who have been sanctified, what it means to yield our members as members of righteousness unto yourself. Lord, help us to realize where we were before Jesus and where we are because of Jesus. Lord, I'm praying for those tonight that may be listening who don't yet know you, who are still in their sin. And I'm praying, Lord, this evening that they might see their need for salvation and trust in you who freely justifies us by grace. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done. Thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I'm praying that tonight you would do what only you are capable of doing. Lord, help me to preach truth. And I'm praying that you impart truth to the hearer. Make this truth real. Speak to hearts and change lives because we know you're able. For these things we're going to praise you for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray and for your sake. Amen. So Paul tells us in Romans 6.13 that we are to yield ourselves unto God. Now, why should we yield? He, he spends the rest of this chapter speaking to us why we are to yield ourselves unto the Lord 
as instruments of righteousness. There's three things that I think we need to look at tonight that I want you to see um, in the remainder of this chapter. First of all, you need to see we yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness because of the favor that God has shown to us. Let's look at verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He says, God forbid. Paul makes it very plain to us and has made it very plain since Romans chapter number 1. He, since the beginning of this thing, since we've started, he's begun telling us we are not saved by works of the law. We're not saved by our own righteousness because our righteousnesses, as we have found out, are not enough to meet God's standard. The good we do will never measure up. We need God's amazing, matchless grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor toward us. And so I believe what Paul is saying right here in Romans chapter 6, you need to yield yourself as a member of, as an instrument of righteousness under the Lord because you've been made a partaker of God's favor, of God's grace. He says, you are not under the law. The Christian relationship is much more than just religion. Matter of fact, I don't even like calling Christianity a religion. Because that's really not what it is. Christianity is about us having a relationship to God who is holy because of the finished work of His Son. Now, religion is about us trying to cross off the T's and dot the I's for all the things we try to do right so that we might appease a holy God. Folks, listen to me. God knew we couldn't meet His standard. That's why He sent His Son. God knew we couldn't be good enough, so God came in the form of flesh in the person of His Son to be good enough for us. And the Bible says Jesus was born perfectly and lived perfectly, then went to a cross and paid the penalty for our sin so that we might be made right with God. Our sin had to be punished, and God punished His righteous Son, and He said, that's enough. Now all we've got to do is trust in Him by grace through faith. It's not about a religion. It's not about us trying to keep a set of rules and regulations. It's about us now trusting in Jesus and receiving this gift of grace, this favor that God has given. It's amazing. Now, I want you to understand something, though. Even though Paul has proved that we are not saved by works of the law, but he has proved in these first chapters, like we've already talked about, that we are saved by grace. The fact that we are saved by grace does not give us an excuse to sin, but it certainly does give us a reason to be obedient. Just because we're not under the law doesn't mean we can go out and do whatever we want to do. If we've really been saved by grace, our desires change. If we've really been saved by grace, we certainly want to live in a way that's obedient to the Lord. Why? Because we've been made partakers of God's favor. Let me show you a picture of grace that I love in the Word of God. It comes from the book of Luke. You can turn your Bibles, keep your place there in Romans chapter number 6. But look with me in Luke 
chapter number 23. This is the story of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Lord willing, Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching on why I believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Why I believe Jesus uh, to be who he claimed to be. And, and we're going to be looking at a lot of this on up until Easter. But um, I was reading this this week, and man, I saw here the, the, a picture of grace that still blows me away every time I read it. Now, in Luke chapter number 23, you got to understand what's happened when we come to verse number 33. Jesus has already went through several mock trials been accused wrongly of doing things he never did. Jesus has now been scourged by a Roman lector. Jesus has been beat with the cat of nine tails. And the Bible says he was beaten so badly that you would have not even been able to recognize who he was. He was marred more than any man, the book of Isaiah tells us. So he has now been beaten to a bloody pulp, spit upon, his beard, beard plucked out, He's done, all of this has happened to him. And now, and look at verse number 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So here you have Jesus who is completely innocent of all charges. Jesus who could speak at any moment. And God the Father would send legions of angels to his rescue. Jesus the one who spoke trees into existence is now about to be hung on a tree. Think about that. God in the flesh doing for men what men can't do for themselves. So the Bible says they crucified him. They put the spikes through his wrist, through his feet, raised up the cross, dropped it into place. And verse 34, look what happens. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is a picture of grace. Here you have Jesus being raised up on a cross, looking down at the men who had just put him there. The men who ridiculed him and mocked him, the men who beat him with their fist and with the whip and who put the crown of thorns on his head and put the spikes through his wrist and through his feet. And here you have Jesus who had all power to do all things looking down and extending grace. He says, Father, forgive them. Did they deserve forgiveness? Did they deserve favor? See, that's what grace is. It's God's undeserved favor toward us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see this picture of grace in Luke 23, that makes me want to know Jesus more. When I see this picture of grace, that makes me want to please him more. Grace does not give us a license to sin. Grace gives us a reason to obey. Now, I want you to understand something. It was certainly the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross and dropped it into place. 
who beat him with a cat of nine tails and did all of that. But I want you to know, I had just as much to do with that as they did. One of my favorite movies is The Passion of the Christ. And one thing that I loved about the movie the Passion of the Christ is the director, Mel Gibson. If you remember the, uh, the scene where they were putting Jesus on the cross. And there was one scene in particular that you can see a hand that goes down and puts it on the palm or on, on the, on the uh, wrist of Jesus when they're about to drive the spike into place. And, and, the, and I didn't know this until a few years after the movie had actually come out. But that the hand of the one that was holding the spike was none other than Mel Gibson himself. See, he was a believer. And what he was trying to portray is that it was him who put Jesus there. It was for his sin he died. Let me tell you something. It was for my sin as well. It was for your sin as well. We had just as much to do with putting the crown of thorns on his head and driving the spikes through his wrist and through his feet and beating him with a cat of nine tails. All of that was done for you and for me, every bit of it. I had just as much to do with it as they did. And so did you. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 9 that he tasted death for every man. Now the same grace that he extended to those people that were standing at the foot of the cross 2,000 years ago, he has extended to me 2,000 years later. When I get this picture of grace, it makes me want to serve him. It makes me want to know him more and more each day. So we are to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness because first and foremost, the favor of God has been shown to us. We are not under the law. We are under grace. God's favor, his undeserved favor has been given to you and I. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6. Watch this. Not only do you need to see that it's because of the favor of God that we are to yield ourselves, but it's also because of the freedom that God has given us. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 20. He describes for us the freedom of the believer. He says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom you obey, whether of sin and death or of obedience and righteousness. This just makes sense. What Paul is saying and the argument he's using is that if you, whoever you yield yourself to, you become that servant. You become the servant of them. If you yield yourselves to sin, you become the servant of sin. However, if we yield ourselves to God, if we relinquish our will to his will, then we become servants of righteousness. So it's important that we yield to the right one. We yield to the right master. Why? Because he's given us freedom. Look how he describes it, verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now Jesus said in John chapter 8, and verse number 32, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let me tell you what I thought pre-Jesus, before I truly trusted in Christ and I knew, I, I, I know I was born again, before I, I had placed my faith in, in, in the Lord and I was out doing my own thing, going my own way, living in a way that pleased myself, I thought I was free to do what I wanted to do. But the truth is, 
I was in bondage to the sin that had a stronghold and a stranglehold on my life. I was thinking nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I have freedom. I didn't have freedom. All I could do was be a sinner. All I could do was please myself. All I could do was live like I was living. If you don't believe me that whomever you yield yourselves to, you become the servant of that person or that thing, ask the alcoholic how free he is. Those who have yielded themselves under that sin becomes a bondage in bondage to that sin, to that slave master. Ask the drug addict how free he is. Ask the fornicator how free he is. You become in bondage to the things that you yield yourself to. And I knew when I was out in sin, going my own way, doing my own thing, even though I thought I had freedom, now I understand I was in complete bondage. It's only when I met Jesus that now I have the freedom to live in a way that's pleasing unto Him. Now because of God's power, because of the person of the Holy Spirit living in me, I have the freedom to live in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord as I yield myself as a member, as an instrument of righteousness unto Him. And the same is true for every believer. You've got to be careful even now as children of God what you yield yourselves to. We all do. I do. Verse number 19 says, I speak after the matter of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. I had a preacher tell me one time, he said, I want to be uh, a, a radical saint just like I was once a radical sinner. That's pretty good. I was a radical sinner. What I've did... For the slave master sin, I now want to do as a servant of Jesus. I want to be just as big a saint as I was a sinner. That's what Paul is saying. And that's what we need to recognize and realize as the people of God. Verse 20. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Now look, with, look at this, folks. You need to understand when we were in bondage to sin, we were free of the righteousness of God. But now that we are made partakers of God's righteousness, we can be free of sin as long as we keep yielding ourselves unto the Lord. So we need to yield ourselves as members, as instruments of righteousness, first of all, because God's favor has been shown to us and because God's freedom has been given to us. The third thing that Paul makes very clear to us, starting in verse number 21, we need to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness because of the fruit that we are to bear. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. We bore fruit because of the sin we lived in pre-Jesus, and that brought us shame. That brought us guilt. I'm telling you something. Man, when I lived in sin pre-Jesus, that yielded a lot of fruit that I wasn't proud of. The Bible certainly is true. 
when it says what you sow, you're also going to reap. You're going to get a harvest on the seed you put in the ground. And when I was living for sin, I sowed a lot of sinful seed. And listen, because of that sinful seed, there was fruit that came back that brought a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of trouble and turmoil into my life. Brought shame to me. But look at verse 22. But now being made free from sin, you become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. What he's saying is, now that we are children of God and we yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness, we can bear fruit that don't bring guilt, but brings glory to God the Father. You know what Jesus said? He said that we are to do good things. We are to do good works so that men may see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father, which is in heaven. What we do for the kingdom of God as God's people who have been saved, justified, and have been sanctified and are being sanctified, what we do brings glory to God. The fruit sin brought, brought guilt. The fruit God brings as we serve Him, listen, brings glory to God the Father who is worthy. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we use this as a verse to preach to the lost and rightly so. If you are listening to me tonight and you've not yet been born again, you've not yet trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you to know the wages of sin is death, physical death, yes, but also spiritual death, separation for an eternity from God the Father. That's what he's talking about here. That's what sin brings. If you don't get your sin problem taken care of, sin will bring you separation from God in a devil's hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you'll receive the gift God has made readily available to you by the person of His Son because of grace, if you'll receive that by faith, the Bible says you can have eternal life. A gift is only good to you if you receive it. You receive it by faith. Child of God, if you're listening to me tonight, recognize and realize we are to yield ourselves unto the God as instruments of righteousness, living in a way that's pleasing unto Him because He's shown us favor. He's given us freedom. And listen, we are to bear fruit that pleases the Lord day by day so that He might be glorified from our life. That's my message. I want you to know I'm praying for you. We love you. I want everybody out there to remember if you need help in any way, there's a, we got a ministry here at the church. Man, if you need groceries, if you need medicine, if there's anything that we can do for you, we want to do it. I'm going to give you my number, 205-442-4523. You can call me. You can text me. You can uh, message our church's Facebook page. Whatever we can do to minister to you, please let us know. We're praying for you all. I know this is a terrible time for everybody, but listen, 
Remember, this too shall pass. God is able. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you for the truth of your word. And I'm asking you now that you would do your work among the people that are listening to this message tonight. God, may your word go out and do what it was sent out to do. May it encourage where encouragement is needed. May it convict where conviction is needed. In order if there be one out there who's not yet trusted in you, may they realize the gift of God is eternal life. And all they got to do is receive it by faith. Lord, we're thankful tonight for salvation, for justification, for sanctification. And may we as your people remember to yield ourselves unto you so that we might be pleasing each and every day. So that I bring glory to you for your honor worthy. Lord, we love you. Again, we thank you for the opportunity and privilege of looking in your word. God, we're asking that you would do what only you can do. Speak to hearts and change lives in Jesus' name. Amen.